We don't need no news. We don't rip. need no stinking badges. <laughs> See, if that guy had been in uh, Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas, yes. Have you seen that Heineken commercial with Benicio del Toro? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like that. First, he's like, people always recognize me. And like he has like that face where he's like, I'm really cool. And all of a sudden, the people outside are Benicio del Toro face. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, ah, say hi, Antonio Banderas. And he's like. But I think the funny thing is, is that they had to put at the bottom of the screen, this is not Antonio Banderas. Because I'm sure... Just to be absolutely sure well, that the American might. audience would would be like, oh, I get the joke. Yeah, some people wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah, I mean, because what's what's his biggest movie? Sicario? The He's Wolfman? He's a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I mean... Suspects. Yeah, but who recognizes him from that? He's Some not. People. He's. I mean, he's. Fear not, and loathing in Las Vegas. I, he's a great actor. I don't. I don't. I don't doubt that. It's just you know what movie has made Benicio del Toro a household name? Hmm. Traffic. He won an Oscar. No one cares about traffic. <laughs> I care about traffic. Anyway, welcome to the Wage of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. Do you yeah. care about traffic? Call us at five five five. 0700 traffic. <laughs> Operators are standing by. And then you can call 8675309. It's $5 for the first minute and a dollar for every minute after that, or you could pay in Coke. Yes, uh, we, we, we accept caffeine. Um, so yeah, I don't know, I guess we could just jump into talking about some movies that we've seen lately, because it's summertime. Just rush blindly into it. We're gonna We're gonna run into the ocean that is the, you know, summer of movies. Um, I mean, it, it could be, you know, it'd be easy enough for us to talk about, you know, big franchise movies, you know, Too every, easy. you know, every week we have a new franchise thingamabob coming out and, uh, yeah, why, why be relevant and hip? <laughs> um, but no, I, I've seen a, a number of new movies that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, um, yeah all right. Bit. A couple movies that at least one, they kind of involve the beach, you could say, or the sea. Um, on the beach? <clears throat> no, that's a different movie. Oh, that's wow! You have you heard of that movie? Sure. The Stanley Kramer uh, nuclear holocaust. One of the most depressing films ever made, according to a, a mutual friend of ours. Ah, okay. Well, I I still have not seen that. Sure. It's actually the the reason I heard of On the Beach was because it was included in the game manual for Metal Metal Gear Solid Three. Really? It was it was like Metal the Metal Gear Solid series is is you know it's it's not important, but the third one was all about the Cold War, and there was, like, a timeline of events that was, like, real events plus fictional events from the game. Yeah. And then one of the the real events they included was the release of On the Beach. Oh. For, because it, it, it jived thematically with the game and with life. Well, that's kind of like how Bioshock had uh, names of real people and real things uh, going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. A good question here. Okay. What is the best video game movie? Mm. I know it's a short list, but well, what was it, the last? You mean you, you, like, like it has to be based on an actual video game? It can't yeah, be a like, movie. It can't be a movie that takes. It can't be the Hardcore visuals. Henry. It can't be Scott Pilgrim. Okay. It uh, it has to be something like the Doom movie. No, oh god, not, you not know what? the Doom movie. Maybe maybe that's not a the best question. I want to talk. And a more interesting question is, what happened to the video game movie? Because there was like an upsurge in video game movies for a while in the early 2000s, and they've really fallen off. 
Um, well, I think it's because... I mean, the Bioshock um, movie got stuck in development hell, and so did the Halo film. Well, Halo, yeah, it did get a little stuck, although, um, in a weird way, because Halo got stuck, we got the career of Neil Blomkamp, well. because he and Peter Jackson tried to make Halo. Uh, I don't know. I think that what happened, maybe, was that, for a time, it seemed rather novel to, ooh, here's a video game, but now we're gonna make it into a movie, so... Get ready for Mortal Kombat or Double Dragon or uh, <laughs> oh god Double. Uh, have you ever seen clips from Double Dragon? Oh, I've seen I've seen the Nostalgia Critic review of Double, oh, Double man. Dragon. Oh, it looks so cheesy. And the, and the think, Double Dragon games are, are really fun. Well, my thought is that at a certain point, maybe in the past ten years, people who play games, gamers, kind of have their own world, and maybe occasionally they'll go see a movie. But having a movie based on a video game doesn't automatically mean people will come out to see your movie. Like, maybe when Resident Evil first came out, you know, that might have been a, more of a big deal for people. Like, oh my god, what, they made a movie out of this game. That's going to be awesome. Let's go see it. And then it turned in, and then it, they realized it was a piece of crap. Right. But um, it's been a few years since the last Resident Evil film. The only thing I can <clears> think of <throat> that was based upon. Uh, a game series is the Warcraft movie. Yeah, which was pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> and which didn't really get high, uh, didn't earn much, did it? No, I mean, um, let's see what happens. Well, later this year, there's a movie of Assassin's Creed oh. coming out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I forgot I, about that. I might give that a chance because, only because the guy who made it uh, just last year did a uh, adaptation of Macbeth. Which I oh, yeah, quite like. Yeah, Mag and and Marion Cotillard, who are both in Assassin's Creed. So I'm wondering if maybe this guy has something up his sleeve, or it might be a visual mess. There was knows? the most recent Hitman movie, actually. Now that I think about it, well, wow, that, maybe video game movies haven't tapered off at all. No, they they come out. It's just like how how often I, I don't know. I'm trying to think, rack my brain. What around. I think is maybe is that the hype around a video game movie has really fallen off well yeah it's not it's no longer <clears throat> enough just to get a uh, an adaptation of, of your favorite video game now it's more like it seems obligatory and and a lot of times unnecessary yeah because a lot of people aren't satisfied with what the assassin's creed movie looks like so far yeah well it's also just so many of them are not very good i mean even i mean at best you usually get something that's fun bad like you get you know, Super Mario Brothers or uh, Street or Street Fighter. Right. <laughs> the good news is we can all go home. Yeah. But do you want to go home? Now, who wants to go home? I want to go want, home. And who wants to go with me? Yeah. But wait, I wanted to go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I know I'm skipping over big chunks of that speech, but I I, I love I, that speech so much. It's really so not much. worth memorizing a Jean Claude Van Damme. No, monologue. no. But the problem is, is that they the people who end up helming a lot of these video game movies, they just don't really. Uh, yeah, you know, it's usually better if somebody makes a movie kind of about the world of video games. Like, That's usually like, more rewarding. Like Wreck It Ralph. Yeah. Or uh or King of Kong. Or uh. Scott Pilgrim. Oh god! Oh, you know what? Although that wasn't there that is was one successful. Either. There is one good video game movie. Oh, it's not. It's not. Uh, damn it, Postal. 
<laughs> wow, you read my mind. Yes, Postal was kind of fun because, and it might be one of the only movables masterpiece. Yeah, one of his only actual good movies. Again, it's totally batshit crazy, but he had fun with it. I mean, that's the movie where, um, <laughs> like I remember actually our friend Matt Rosen first told me about it because he said like either in the trailer or in the actual or in the movie. Osama bin Laden has a quote where he's like, Uwe Boll is a devilish, um, rap, you know, evil uh, filmmaker. But he made a good movie. <laughs> so it's like they use a fake quote, a quote from Osama bin Laden to promote your movie. That's, that's, actually that's pretty not clever. That's a bad idea. That's pretty clever. Um, but yeah, I mean, so much crap. I mean, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Um, Which was know. a pretty big deal back oh, then. Oh yeah, because, I saw it in the theater because it was supposed to be. You know, it was all computer animated, and it was supposed to be so realistic. Or or, pe- or also from Uwe Ball, Alone in the Dark, um, or or House of the Dead. Oh yeah, well he yeah he was behind a lot of video game movies, Far Cry. Um, you know, it's just um, but you know, video games haven't had that haven't had that renaissance like comic book movies had no they I, they haven't back in the 90s it was a bit it was a big deal for your favorite superhero to get a movie so much so that if, even though the movie was mediocre you spent your you spent your time defending it because yeah. you enjoyed it so much and yeah. and I, I certainly understand that but now the standard has been raised so much yeah i i think that now i think it, the problem is, is again, the, the kind of audiences for video game movies or video games itself. I mean, a lot of video games themselves are closer to movies. I mean, I I haven't gotten to play it, but I've heard a lot of things about this game, The Last of Us, that that almost plays more like a movie than a game. Wow. You know, so if you have an audience that is hardcore into gaming, why would they trek out to see a movie if they get you know, hours and hours and hours of a sli- of a somewhat cinematic experience in their home that is really immersive. Well, that's like the same question. If you can read a comic book over and over again, why would you go see a movie of those same characters? <clears throat> yeah. That is that, that's especially a good point if they're too. not as good. I, it's it's the same cross media medium thing that that's been going on with with everything. You know, uh, you know why read why see the movie if you could just read the book and why. So I see the movie if you could just play the game. And it's like, we're all looking for good stories. Yes. Video that... games have good stories. It's just that people haven't given them the respect that those that those stories deserve yet. Yeah. Well... And I, 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 I will guess that within the next the, the, next, the coming decade, there will be one of those good video game there adaptations. Was, I, I might have talked about it before, but even though it wasn't you know officially based on a video game actually i think it was based on a graphic novel but uh edge of tomorrow felt like the best video game movie made um even though again it's not based again, on a com- not based not based on a video game but when you watch it 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 plays like a video game in the best possible way but it works also as a movie because by having the conceit that tom cruise is reliving the same experience over and over again um you know because he gets like you know 
<laughs> uh, story slime basically on him. It's like I got the slime on me, and it's making me repeat the same pattern over and over again. That's what so happened he, to Bill Murray in yes, Groundhog exactly. Day. Yes, exactly. Slime. He got slime, and then he ended up reliving the whole thing. Yes, but but he gets Groundhog Day with bullets. Yeah, basically Groundhog Day. I, but I, I Groundhog Day with gigantic like Halo type suits where. Yeah, it's basically I have to relearn. I have to keep fighting over and over again so I get better at battling these aliens. But I don't even think you have to do that. I don't think a a good a movie ba- a good movie based on a video game property necessarily has to has to oh. it doesn't necessarily have to work within the tropes of video gaming itself. You just have to take that story that people like and then you have well, to adapt it. Well, it's funny that you're bringing this whole subject I, up. Hardcore I, Henry was an interesting experiment in this sort of first-person viewpoint. But it Don't didn't work as me. It didn't work <laughs> as it, I will. I'll concede that as an experiment, it had a decent idea behind it. Yeah, but, but it didn't have a good right. story. It, the story was garbage. Now it's funny you're bringing this whole thing up, and I know we went up. We're going off on a little bit of a tangent, but. The first section is always about tangents. Exactly. Um, We should call it, like, the tangential tailpipe or something like that. We'll work with that. Yeah. Um, But there was actually some movie news that I don't know if you'd heard about. Tetris is not only being made into a movie, it's getting made into a trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Why not? Why the why the f not Tetris? All right, yeah. this is literally they've not purchased a universe or or any sort of characters. <laughs> they've just purchased a name. Let's see let's see how much money we can make off of the Tetris name. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, yeah. I wonder what Alexei Pajitnov would think of this. Who's that? He's the inventor of Tetris. Ah. He uh, he invented the he invented the the first software of Tetris. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's the father of the modern puzzle game. But he, he what what the producer? Right, what movie can you make out of Tetris, and what idea can you stretch into three movies? Well, I'll read I mean, you... even stretching The Hobbit to three movies. What's a much better idea than this? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, again, you haven't seen Battle of the Five Armies yet. <laughs> All right. So what did the what did the director or producer? Um. Well, apparently this guy, uh, this producer came out and said, uh, well, casting is underway, by the way. And I wonder who will play the T-shaped block. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think he can really pull it off. Um, Giamatti. The, uh, <laughs> he is perfect as the T-shaped block. Yeah, well, I, uh, some people I'm are going to want to say he's a, he's a better <laughs> L-shaped block, but really... Hey, he just comes and does his job. He's the best kind of actor. He's reliable. Yeah, he doesn't really have much That's of an ego. That's what the T-shaped sh- block is all about, doing its job when you need it. Yeah, okay, well, this producer said, you know, it's it, is this, as rumors have suggested, designed as the first in a trilogy, or tetralogy, if you will? No, that of, doesn't make any sense. Tetris. Tetra <laughs> means four. That's like saying a quadrilogy. Really? I thought yeah. four means is quad. In, in Latin, tetra is the Greek word for four. <laughs> oh, I see. Now we're getting into the It's called Tetris. Here. They use the word tetra because each of the blocks is made of four squares. <clears throat> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. 
You never thought about that, did you? No, no, no. Good point. Well, this guy says that it's because the story is conceived is so big. This isn't us splitting the last one of our eight movies into or to try to wring blood out of a stone. It's just a big story. (sighs) Man. That's bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) See, that made you even curse. He's and also he was asked like what's the story gonna be and this producer's like oh oh it's gonna be oh yeah it's well, gonna be he, huge he says we want the story to be a surprise but it's a big science fiction movie I came up with the idea as I was thinking about Tetris and the theme of creating order out of chaos uh, so are you gonna have a movie about like I am gonna see the first Tetris movie as a double feature with Passion of the Christ two. <laughs> This, I swear. Too passion, too furious. <laughs> passion of the Christ. Resurrection. You know what? The title's already there, Andrew. Remember the movie 2012? Yes. Okay, the first teaser for 2012 was like a monk on top of a mountain. Mm-hmm. Was presumably in the Himalayas or Tibet, somewhere around that area. Yes. And he's like ringing a bell and all of a sudden a giant tidal wave comes over the mountain. And I'm like, I know this is going to be terrible. But the only way they can save this is if they make it a post-apocalyptic Jodorowsky film. Yes. That's the only way that 2012 Mm. could possibly be worth it, I said back in 2011. Okay. And the only way you can make this Tetris film work Mm -hmm. is if you get so experimental Mm -hmm. that you are off the entire grid of filmmaking. Grid. There we go. Ah, there you go. You're You're reminding me, though, of... What one of my dream film ideas is, which is I want to produce, not direct per se, but I want to produce an adaptation of Katamari Damachi. Oh, that would be fantastic. And, but here's the thing. Well, I, would, I, would I say give, that now. Well, I would give it to a crazy Japanese filmmaker. I would give it like... Takashi to, Maike? Yes. I would give it to Takashi Maike, and it would be the most cheerful apocalyptic movie ever made. <laughs> because it's like... Everybody's getting rolled up in a giant ball, oh, yeah. and like the armies of the world are trying to figure out how do we stop this thing. But then you cut to like the little guy who's rolling up the ball, and he's talking with the with universe. Father. Yeah, the, the guy the, who the, the, the ruler of all the cosmos. Yeah, the ruler of all the cosmos who uh, who who just like constantly mocks him for not giving him big enough balls yeah. of things. <laughs> Basically, in Kamari Damachi, for those who don't but know, but they don't talk in words. They have to talk in. Oh, they have to talk oh, in record scratches, and then there have yeah. to be subtitles Ka- at the. Kamari Damachi is a game which I've played like countless times on PlayStation. Kamari Damachi is Damachi or Damachi. Yeah, like you you basically are rolling I'm, I'm up the earth. you're rolling up the earth to make stars. And yes. planets and things. Which is physically impossible because there isn't enough mass in the Earth to actually make a star, but we're getting, we're getting beyond ourselves. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I would just love to see that because it would just be so much fun. Yeah. You know, whereas a lot of these video game movies, they're just generic action Yeah, that's garbage. what they ended up being back in the 90s. It was like, and then the we, two, we and bought the a property and they, we made it into a lackluster action film. That's Man. That's what Resident Evil was, and that's what, uh, what else was there? Uh, well, you brought up Well, Doom. it's not like they're really memorable, but there was Doom, yes. uh, which, you know, that was early 2000s, that was early 2000s, or the mid-2000s, zeros. Well, yeah, and you brought up Hitman, 
Hitman um, was also a generic action film. I saw that in the theater, uh, by the way. Wow, really? Yeah, with a friend of mine. Oh boy. From co- uh, from hi- from high school. I'm sorry. Ah, it was a good, it was a good night. <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know. It's it's a weird thing because there are a number of movies now that, and Street that Fighter look like and, video games. And, and Mortal Kombat. Actually, Mortal Kombat tried to set itself apart a little bit, but didn't do too well. Here's another question, though. Why aren't there too? You know, there are also a ton of games based on movies, and a lot of those aren't very good. No. I, why do you think that is? Well, because they're Maybe cash they're on the popu- on the popularity of the movie. Well, there you go. No. Uh, there are a few movie video games that were pretty good. When okay. Lord of the Rings first came out, there were a few uh, action games based on that that were pretty good. Uh, I can't think of too many right now. Although, okay. uh, if I look, you know, it's been sure, sure. it's been such a lo- long time. But Goldeneye. Yeah. A, a, that, that a, was a, the that game was game better that, than the movie. That pract- a, ga- a game that practically changed the face of console gaming. Do you would you credit it to that? The, the the change in console gaming to well to i mean was the game that monumental it was a very popular game it was very popular but wasn't final what? fantasy kind of like the big game changer no well or final fantasy 7 i should say for different reasons uh but like going back to goldeneye shooter first person shooters had existed before then and it was a little, they were yeah. they were popular, but they were sort of a niche. Yeah, uh, they they existed more on PCs. Yeah, and because that was people thought that was the best way to play them. The, the difference with GoldenEye was that it was on the con- a console on the N64, yeah. and it popularized first-person shooters in video game consoles. Also, as like a party game, you know, four people yes. could play GoldenEye at once in oh, yeah. your house. Oh, I would do that a lot. And you have to attribute a lot of the success of Halo. To its mm. to that idea of four pe- for four person multiplayer right in that same room, yeah. uh, but we have to get a little bit <laughs> we have to backtrack a bit back to movies. Yeah, let's go back to movies for a second because I was about to talk about some new movies which are not based on games but which are interesting to say the least. I feel like I'm forgetting something though. Uh, Katamari Damacy, we should uh, there should be a film of that. Yes, you, you got to work towards your dream, my good friend. I should write a script and send it to Takashi Miike. And yeah. he'll be like, why isn't there a scene where a crazy girl chops off a guy's foot? Also, why is this written in English? I can't, <laughs> I can't I, understand I, it. I won't pay to have this translated. He's done, Actually, he did a couple of English language movies. Okay. They aren't very good. I, I don't know how well he speaks or reads English, though. So. I, I would just love the idea of bringing this completely crazy Japanese filmmaker to make a studio movie... And, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't make, be a big success, but, like, artistically, it would be unique. You know, there there is a Katamari Domacy game for your PS3. I should get that. Yeah, get it. All right. It's not so much its own original thing, it's kind of just, like, levels from the original. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a compilation of uh, the greatest hits. Good. Um, well, this isn't, this isn't a video game movie. <laughs> anyway. But this is a very unique movie. Um, I just came back today before we started recording from seeing Swiss Army Man. You know, I had always hoped right before I died, my life would flash before my eyes and I would see wonderful things. But as I was hanging up there, I didn't really see much of anything. But I did see you. 
Jeez. I thought you were dead. Am I dead? I don't think so. You're talking. Hi. You're special. I'm special. You're like the multi-purpose tool guy. Oh, with uh, Harry yeah. Potter himself. Yes, well, Harry Potter and uh, and other people. Uh, well, two. It's mainly two people in the movie because uh, you've seen the trailer. I haven't actually. Oh, okay. You don't know what this is. All right. Let me try my best way to explain this to you. So, the movie opens on what you think is Paul Dano uh, about to like hang himself on this like deserted island or something. He's on like this sunny beach. But, like, he's by himself, and he's about to hang himself. He's doing the castaway thing. Yeah, you think that, like, oh, man, he's been washed up on shore somehow. But then all of a sudden, he sees washed up on the beach, dead Daniel Radcliffe. And it suddenly, he gets off from the noose, and he goes over to him, and he starts, like, chanting. And the soundtrack, like, starts to match up with the chanting there's a lot of that in that movie that like you hear a lot of at, at random points uh, paul dano will be going ha, 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 and then the soundtrack will join in with him and basically what happens in the movie paul dano notices that daniel dead daniel radcliffe is a fart machine basically and you get yeah, the sort of happens. sense that He's going to use Daniel Radcliffe to maybe get off the island or get his escape. Um, also, his a couple like oh God, it's so difficult to explain this movie to somebody who hasn't even seen the trailer. Is this basically just Paul Dano using the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe to to get off of an island, Gilligan's Island? At style? first, you think it is. Well, that's what the title refers to: is Daniel Radcliffe is this quote Swiss Army man, an all-purpose man, because. You know, he also will cough up lots and lots of water, which Paul Dano will drink, because it's so safe. And then Daniel Radcliffe starts to talk to Paul Dano. Ah. Because why not? And they it ends up being kind of a buddy movie. Like, a very quirky zombie movie, you could say. Only he doesn't eat people. He's just, like... It, it's like this relationship develops between these two guys. It... It is so strange. Like, it is beyond anything else. Pl- the fa- I went to the Garden State Plaza in Paramus and saw this at this theater. And it was one of those times where I walked out and I had one of those weird feelings. Like, I just saw this in a mall multiplex. I haven't felt this... You became this- very aware of where you were. I haven't felt this way since I saw Under the Skin in a multiplex <laughs> at a mall. And um, The world looks so different now. And I will say, ultimately, I don't think I like the movie, but I will say that if you are intrigued by the trailer, go watch it first. And if you think, okay, this looks very, very strange. Oh, also, right. oh, by the way, Daniel Radcliffe also, um, Paul Dano uses his erections to as a compass. Right. <laughs> like, I, I almost will say, if you have a desire to see it, go see it. Go support this movie. Go support really weird, out-of-the-box movies like this. Now, I will say I didn't like it that much overall, but there were a lot of things about it that were extremely creative, and it's like the most admirable thumbs-down I will give this in a decade. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great they, they say that ev- someone said once, some screenwriter said that 
every film should show you something you've never seen before. This does that. This oh, showed this you like that. ten different things you had seen before. This showed me... Well, it showed me sort of things I'd seen before. Like, it really straddles a line between being so weird, it's too weird, like Zardoz, which I know we'll get to that in a week or two. But, um, but also kind of sweethearted. Oh, also, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in it. Huh. Briefly. Um, in a way that I wasn't expecting. So there was that movie. And then a movie which really does take place on a beach that I saw called The Shallows. Um, maybe you've heard of this one. This is also a new release. It's a um, shark attack movie. Um, but the cool thing about this one is most of it, again, not, not on, I guess Swiss Army Man, it was two people. But this one, this girl goes to this like kind of secluded beach off of Mexico uh, it doesn't, she asks a couple times for this guy who's driving her there, what's its name is, but he's one of, you know, it's one of those stereotypes. Isla del Muerte. Almost something like that, yeah. <laughs> he's a Hispanic guy, and he doesn't really talk English very well. Um, so she doesn't even find the name of it. Um, and she's a surfer. Uh, Blake Lively is this woman. And she goes out to surf one day, and, uh-oh. Tierra de las Calaveras. Yes. And it turns out there's one of those, you know, gigantic, uh, great white Jaws sharks. And she ends up finding kind of like shelter on this big rock. Um, it's not very big, but it's big enough for her to just plant herself on. But she's got to get off it and try to find some kind of protection um, so she doesn't get eaten. Um, and just a really intense movie. Uh, you know, you put yourself into her position and wonder, what would I do? Uh, the movie isn't perfect in certain ways. Like, it actually kind of does some things that are meant to make it convenient, I guess, like, for the character. Like, she just happens to be, like, a medical student, so she knows lots of things about, like... Like, the shark actually does bite into her leg, but she's able to, like, cauterize the... the not cauterize, but she's able to stop the bleeding with, like, part of her wetsuit. Um, you know, although I wonder if maybe... I guess maybe it would be that. But it's... Just you feel the tension mounting through the whole movie, and uh, where it ends up ultimately, like where, you know, it finally becomes woman versus shark, kind of. But it is just like Jaws three. Yeah, uh, there is the, the funny thing is it is a CGI shark in the huh. movie, but it is a good CGI shark. Sometimes you get really bad CGI sharks, and. If you want to see what I mean, <laughs> just look up on YouTube. Samuel L. Jackson. Well, <laughs> well, that, yes. But also, like, um, <laughs> James Rolfe did a great video about 24 shitty shark movies. <laughs> <laughs> and you get things like Jurassic Shark and Hammerhead and... Um, Hammerhead 2. You get daily. even, like, he even put on the list, I forget the name of it, but there's a movie that actually rips off Jaws 3. Wow. Yeah. Talk about low-hanging fruit. <laughs> it is a great video. Like, I encourage you to watch it. Like, <laughs> I hope in one of those films, the shark was played by, like, a hand puppet. <laughs> no, no, no. These are mostly uh, crappy CGI um, type of movies. Like, almost to the point also where you have, like, land sharks and sharks with, like, two heads. Or even three heads. And, um... The Cerberus shark. Yeah, it, um... I think Sharknado is in his top five. But anyway, go see The Shallows if you can. Like, support a movie which is just 
a movie. It's not a franchise. It's just out there to scare you a little bit. Um, and the first good shark movie I've seen since Open Water. Nice. Um, anything you want to talk about for a moment? or uh, Did you see anything in the past couple weeks? I've seen a few things, but probably things that are more... Uh, that are best talked about in uh, another podcast. In, in another part of the podcast. Say no more. Gotcha. Well, a couple more things I do want to mention. Um, I, I forget if it happened before we last recorded, but uh, the actor Anton Yelchin died. Right. We talked about that at the end of the last podcast. Yeah, we did. Um, which is very sad. Uh, I mean, he'll be in Star Trek Beyond uh, later this month. Uh, but I went back to watch a movie that he headlined uh, about five years ago called Fright Night. Oh yeah, and this was a remake. Right, uh, actually, I remember of an with 80s movie. Uh, with um... Chris Sarandon and Roddy McDowell. Wait, that that was the original. Yes. So well, that's what you were trying to think of the original. No, right? I was trying to think of who was in the remake. Okay, because the, the way that David Tennant RB... was in it, but also yes, what's David his Tennant name? and Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. Okay, yes. my favorite Scottish Greek man. Yes, who happens to be Irish. <laughs> really. Yeah, you know Colin Farrell's Irish. Man, this is the this is yeah, wor- you... this is worse than the time I confused uh, Al- uh, uh, Alfonso Cuarón with uh, what's his name? Uh, it's fun. <laughs> the guy who did the skin I live in. Oh, right? Pedro Almodovar. Pa- yeah, with Almodovar. <laughs> that well, it's fine. Actually, the other the other day, um, Corey and I were about to go out to um, this Tom Cruise movie, which actually maybe I'll talk about that in a minute. And it was this 80s movie, and she's like, so is this the movie where he's a fighter pilot? I'm like, no. <laughs> and then like, and, she, and I was like, no, that's not the movie at all. Why don't you guess what movie this is? And she's like, oh, oh, the one where he's the bartender. I'm like, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but the thing is... That's- Tail. The thing that makes it different, though, people don't get offended when you mistake them for a fighter pilot or a cock or, or a bartender. It just seemed like one of those moments where, wait, do I know you? Why don't you know your Tom Cruise if I, if 80s I was, movies? If I was to if I was to walk up to an Irishman and say, "Oh, you're Scottish," I'd probably get decked. In the <laughs> yes, I, I man, I would have loved you to do that in front of Colin Farrell. Man, I I can't believe I met my favorite Scottish actor. What's your want, you punk? <laughs> See? Okay. But, yeah, Colin Farrell's in Fright Night. He is having... And it's like, wait, I loved Alexander. It's like, okay, we'll go see where this goes. Yeah. Actually, you didn't see him in Bruges? No. Okay. I'm trying to think of another movie that he would have his Irish accent, but I don't uh, in, um... He does a pretty good American accent. Oh, crap. He did uh, uh, Saving Mr. Banks. He had his Irish accent. Oh! Yeah, he oh yeah, he was in that. He was Mr. Yeah. Banks. Okay. Well, well no, the, he did. All right. So. But in this movie he's a vampire. Right. In, and in Fright Night. Yeah, and he's <laughs> It's a backtrack. A he's having bit. a lot of fun in it. And uh Anton Yelchin, he works really well in large part because he's the straight man. He's actually the guy who um he he's supposed to be the audience. He's the one who we kind of will relate to a little bit. And the movie sets up his character in a way that you know, it had more. It had a little bit more substance to it for me than certain other junk horror movies for teens. Because like in this, his character, like he he's trying to have this girlfriend who's really attractive, and his old like 
Dungeons and Dragons type of nerdy friend is like, what are you doing? We need to, you know, go after this vampire guy. And he's like, no, leave me alone. What are you doing? I, 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 I got to spend time with this girl. And it's, uh, <laughs> this dynamic is good. is interesting to start with. And then he discovers, oh no, wait, my neighbor, Jerry, the vampire <laughs> is a vampire. But his name is Jerry. That's one of the funny things. Um, See, that makes sense, though, because th throughout film history, you've had vampires who have taken, like, really complicated pun names. Yes. So it's like, why didn't you figure it out just by reading his business card? Yeah. Well, at a certain point, yeah, you got to come to the uh, uh, Tim the Enchanter, or whatever his name, or yeah. where he was in um, Holy Grail. Um, but also, David Tennant is fantastic. He's, like, a Vegas uh, magician, but, yeah. like, as, like, a vampire slayer. And so right. he's one of these lovable frauds who just sits around and drinks uh, whiskey. He's a Scotsman. Yes. I, I was pretty sure of that one. Good. Um, and what's great is, like I said, the, the, the fun thing is that the Farrell and uh, Tennant are really amping it up. And they're, you know, really pouring on the screen presence. But Yelchin is there as kind of like the more realistic guy to help kind of head your movie on. And um, one downside, though, is the – and I've, sometimes this is always a crutch with certain horror movies or action movies – CGI that's just not believable. Yeah. CGI that <clears throat> just really doesn't hold up even after five years, let alone probably for its time. Shouldn't have skimped. Also, I think it was made maybe in 3D because there are certain moments where I'm like, oh, here's a 3D shot. Mm. I, I'm starting to see that as I catch up on releases that are about – three or four years old yeah i really i eventually realized oh this film was supposed to be in 3d and yes <laughs> the band doesn't really show yeah so but it's it was worth watching and i it was a decent enough remake because sometimes these remakes are so just damn disposable like uh, like the thing yeah yeah well when we, the remake of the remake the remake of the remake yes <laughs> yes exactly um yeah for sure um another new movie i watched uh, Wiener Dog. You heard? Do you know what Wiener Dog is? The documentary about Anthony Wiener's pet. <laughs> it was too easy. You know what's funny though? I um I had a. Do you know there are two spellings of Wiener? Yes. There's W E I N E R and then W I E N E R. That's one of those things that confused me. Yeah. Which one? Here's a question. English doesn't make any sense. Which which one has the which one has the I before the E? The one that isn't after C. <laughs> All right, that works. Um, I win. Yeah. No, well, actually, well, no. Wiener was the yeah the documentary on Anthony Wiener. This is a this is a fiction film um, by Todd Salons, who I've talked about before. I did Happiness on the. Cinema Immersion Tank, if you want to go back to that episode. Um, this is four stories all connected by a we by a wiener dog. A dachshund. A dachshund, yes. A, is that how you pronounce it? Close enough. A dachshund. Yeah, a dachshund. Or a dachshund, if you, if you prefer. Or a dachshund. Uh, with the X, I see. No, it's... it's, it's anyway. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's a little hot dog. And he, uh, he has four different owners, and... It's kind of a very black, sad comedy. He's the death dog. He has the curse. Yeah. Well, it's the first in the first segment. He gets kind of used the most. He, uh, like this dumb kid, kind of feeds him granola bars, 
which you're not supposed to do with the no, dog. No, I didn't think so. No, he, the dog ends up diarying. And it's the kind of movie where there's this, like, shot that kind of tracks along, like, the dog's diarrhea. And you hear the Claire de Lune classical music. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so it's that kind of movie. Um, technically, this is actually... It's supposed to have two characters from... His first movie, Welcome to the Dollhouse, which maybe I talked on the podcast before. I know the movie. Yeah. Um, although they're played by different actors. Danny DeVito is in it as a very terrible screenwriting teacher who's kind of a hack. Uh, he's, his whole advice to students is, if then, if what, what then? Or if something like that. <laughs> it's it's one of those oh, things yeah. where... It, it sounds like awful advice. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, and then, like, Ellen Burstyn, she's in the last segment as, like, an old lady who names the dog Cancer. And she's asked why, and he's like, it felt right. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of very morbid humor that if, if you're really feeling down in the dumps, it might not be a great movie to see, because it involves a lot of miserable people. Uh, it's one of those independent films. But there's other. I had a lot of laughs um, at times. Like Julie Delpy has a whole monologue about uh, dog rape. <laughs> it's that kind of movie. Huh? Yeah, your 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 expression just now says it all. Um, and it's the kind of movie that features a line like, "Was the squirrel spade?" <laughs> um, so yeah, that's Wiener Dog. Uh, moving right along. Um, let me just see here, because I've seen a number of things. Uh, if you want to follow me, this is a plug for myself. Uh, on my blog, The Sanitarium, I'm trying to do a project with the Criterion Collection, and I'm just watching a bunch of movies. Initially, I thought I was going to watch a movie a day, and that just turned out to not be possible. But <laughs> Hey, speaking of the Criterion Collection, I did see a Criterion movie uh, just a few days ago. Oh, I good. watched The Red Shoes. Oh, had you ever seen it before? No, but ah. I felt kind of like I had seen it, not in a bad way, because maybe I, clips. N no, I, what I well, mean is is that it shares so much with another ballet film that I talked about, Black Swan. Well, yeah, I mean they share similar themes, and but I mean otherwise the look is totally different, the characters are totally different. Uh, a lot of the characters in The Red Shoes are much more sympathetic. Yes, but it is the same sort of theme where a woman has to it, it, she she pays the price for trying to to follow her career and perfect her art and it's mirrored in the way that the it, the ballet that she performs in mirrors her mental her state. life yes. and mental state it uh I, what i remember most about that movie is when they put on the red shoes midway through the movie it for a moment, it becomes like a music video, in like mm. the best possible way, because she's like dancing on stage and she's so into it that it's almost like the stage disappears mm. and she's in this like. It, fog. it becomes almost like a montage from Fantasia. Yeah, at, which I which I really loved. It really looked a lot like like some of those Fantasia scenes, even though this movie came out before Fantasia. No, it came out after. No, it was the late forties. Fantasia didn't come out until. Uh... You don't know this? Fantasia was 1940. Damn it. Red Shoes is 1947. Damn it. Ah! Anyway. Gotcha. Uh, no, it's fine. But, you know, now that you mention it, you know, they still have s some similar visual motifs. Well, Whether what I liked that, about you know, it, too, is the that point. there's a slight 
don't know if I'm going to say meta aspect to it, but there is this whole thing that, you know, where she they're putting on this performance of the red shoes, and then near the end of the movie, it's almost like, are the red shoes getting, like, a mind of their own? Yeah, it, it just scratches the surface of what Black Swan would just dive right into. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's hard for Nina in that film to tell the difference between what is in the ballet and what's happening in her real life. Yes. Uh, but there is that sort of mixing of worlds in very small places, and but was, in very important places, too. Yeah, Moira Shearer was the uh, lead actress. Yes. She was quite... She's very recognizable because of her red hair. Uh, Beautiful-looking movie. Yes. Man, that's like when Technicolor was really... Uh, you know, full color. Like I, I was lucky. I, I got to see like a, a, a restoration in on a print, and it was like one of the few times I can remember I've, I saw a movie, and I think the print was so special that I actually heard every time a reel changed. You know, because usually if you see a film print, you see like the cigarette burn, right? Uh, which means reel change. But I heard the cigarette burn go off, like bop, bop. so. <laughs> Yeah, but um, you've got special hearing. Mm. Now, yeah, Powell and Pressburger—they're—they're they're quite the the combo. I think a while back, when we were in the Wage of Cinema, this was like a year and a half ago, maybe I maybe talked about the Tales of Hoffman. Maybe if that rings a bell. Yeah, that, that was, sounds like a movie you'd talk about. Yeah, that was a more direct uh, adaptation of uh, like an opera. And it's like, I, I, the surpri- thing that surprised me with that was, I don't really like opera, but I love that movie. Hmm. Uh, and Morris Shearer is in that too. She's like, she she has a really great segment where she's like this woman who's made up to be like a doll, who's like ordered or commanded to dance. and uh, Pull the string. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty much a pull the string story. You know. You know, I was actually thinking about the movie Glenn or Glenda recently. Okay. Uh, and I was thinking about Glenn or Glenda is not recognized as a very good film by most people, right? Yeah. But I think it's underrated. It has something to it I'm more the, than any of well, Edward's more other than movies. any of uh, other well, even more than Plan Nine. Well, there's that whole. It feels like it's like ten or fifteen minutes, maybe even twenty minutes, where the movie just stops and it becomes like. This long hallucinatory sequence of where you see like things like Ed's face just looking like in a weird shot, and then it'll yeah. cut to Bella Lugosi. And then people zooming in on people waving their fingers. And yeah, like it turns into an experimental movie, and it's it's almost like he, I guess Ed Wood was given carte blanche. He was just told, well, it's it's a sex change operation movie. Go do something, and he made it into a movie about himself. So yeah, and I think that's what really lifts it above uh, most of his other work. It was very personal for him. Yeah, it's perhaps not... even self indulgent, but you know, yes. it was still to give you an you idea. Know, it's it's hit or miss sometimes with like a self indulgent film like that, but he, it really has, for lack of a better word, heart. Well, he, he it, it says a lot that David Lynch has talked about that uh, Eraserhead was inspired a little bit by Glenn or Glenda. Yeah. Like, cause there was like, I guess some, like the woman in the radiator or something was kind of lifted from something in Glenn or Glenda. I forget what it was, but yeah, there's some surreal stuff in Glenn or Glenda. Yeah. You know, even just by having Bo Lugosi there for 
no reason. Like, all of his narration doesn't really pertain to no. the story of this guy who becomes <laughs> no. a transvestite. No. He's just and, there to... And I'm, not because, saying, and I'm not saying Glenda Glenda is some sort of work of genius. No, it's not. But it was a film that was... That you that from the feeling of it, you get a sense it was very near to Ed Wood's heart. Yes, which is a lot better than some other films that, co- that uh, some films that come out today. And it has this very forward-thinking message. Yes, Ed Wood, a man who liked to wear women's clothing, yes. was basically this is like something this is something James Rolfe once said, the yeah. angry video game writer. He said it was basically Ed Wood asking the world to understand him. Yes. And nowadays we still struggle with things like that. We we're still trug- struggling with well, how to live with transgendered and transvestite people in uh, in society. Trying to fi- you know the sort of regimentation of sexes and what we think is normal. We're still thinking about that. And Ed Wood tried back in the 1950s to address it in some way, in his own personal way. Yeah, it wasn't. Entirely, I mean, he's not. Some it wasn't great entirely moral... successful. No, but it. It's it's a unique piece of film that couldn't be made before and couldn't probably couldn't be made after. Not for a way. while. Yeah, not not for a while. Although it's funny that you're saying that you're bringing me back to thing about Swiss Army Man, which is also this unique piece of film which I don't think is entirely successful. But but that movie actually has a lot of deep stuff to talk about with uh, like living your life and huh. what you do with your life because like. Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe in that movie have a lot of deep conversations at times about, uh, like, because, like, Paul Dan like, you know, is he, is he, like, a loser back in his home world, uh, where he's from? Home world. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know. I was, like, he's an alien. He might be an alien. Um, but talking about unique movies, and I was mentioning the Criterion Collection, um, one of the films I watched uh, is this movie called uh, Woman in the Dunes. Not sure if you've maybe have heard of this. I will kill her. <laughs> what? Dune. That's. Oh, I thought you were referring to Man of Steel. No, no, that's I will find him. Oh, <laughs> I will kill. I will kill him. I will kill him. That's that's Dune. Oh, okay. Um, well, Woman in Dunes is a truly effed up work of art, and it's. The the premise, that, as simple as I could say it, is it's about this guy who's an entomologist. Do you know Studies what that is? insects. Good. Right. good I quiz. know words. All right, good. Um, and he's out in like this kind of desert area of maybe it's by it might be near a beach basically. Lots a lot of, of sand. Beach, lots of beach. Lots of you know coarse. <laughs> you know the desert very. Don't don't. Okay, I won't go there. We're not referencing he, episode two. And anymore. anyway, he he's trying to search the ins- the desert for rare insects. He's like the school teacher, uh, who also he's trying to get published. That's his big goal. I could be in a book one day. And while he's out in the desert, he these villagers are kind of saying hi to him, and they seem a little bit off in a way, but he doesn't really notice it. Then he realizes, oh crap! I lost. I forgot to get on my the last bus to go back to the village. Or to go to my hotel. And these villagers say, well, why don't you stay... You could, there's this woman who lives down in this hole. And you could stay with her overnight. And he stay, he stays with this woman down in this, like, gigantic hole that's been dug in the sand. And, you know, and she's a little bit off in her way. Like, she, you know, she does some things that he doesn't quite know what is going on. But he, he puts up with it because he thinks, like all right. Like living in a hole. Yeah, it's just for a night. And it's in, like, a shack which constantly gets 
sand blown on it because the wind. It's in a hole. Yeah. And then he wakes up in the morning and he thinks, all right, it's time to go. And he realizes, crap, I've been fooled. Like, these people in the village set me up and I'm not going to be able to be let go. Villagers? Yeah, pretty much. So it almost, it turns into kind of like a prison movie. Only it's like this man and this woman living in this shack. And they're kind of made to, they're forced to make, like, to get diamonds and stuff out of the sand. Like, they have to dig up every day and find things. But that's not really the purpose of the movie. The purpose almost is more about the filmmaking itself. It's, like, the way that it's directed, a lot of the shots bring out something that I didn't think was possible with sand. Which is that it makes sand interesting. Huh. It's like it's tactile and sensual and you almost feel like it's 3D in a 2D sense. And um, a couple of really sensual moments, too. Even though this woman that he's this guy is with is crazy. Like, she's totally like, she's totally like, I love working this job. This is great. And even though my husband and my child are missing and I don't know what happened to them, because it's not just them. There are other people who have been abducted and in other holes that are forced to make the sand forced to become sand people. Yeah. It, yeah. It almost has this, like if like Tatooine was a real place and it had an element of like Shawshank redemption where people are <laughs> institutionalized because at first this guy is trying to figure out ways. Okay. I can't climb out of this hole because it's sand. I just keep falling down. Maybe I could find a way to make a rope and get out of here. And, you know, at first he hates it, then he gets used to it, and then he tries to almost love the experience. But it's a truly unique film, and it's probably now one of my new favorite movies. It's so great, this Woman in the Dunes movie. So if you have Criterion, or you can pick it up, it's by this Japanese filmmaker who made a handful of movies um, named... Uh, let me pronounce this name right. Hiroshi Teshigahara. I think I got it. Um, he's all, he's going to be on our short list for the Katamari Donacy, uh Oh, he's dead. Film. Oh, never mind. Sorry. He's off the list. Yes. Um, you lost your chance. Unfortunately, yes. Um, and it has really good acting in it, too. Um, just a unique specimen of film. Like, very, at times, very uncomfortable. You almost feel crazy watching it at times. But I almost look at that as a positive in this case. It's not like with this was Swiss like Army Man. crazy week. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, I had other movies that weren't quite as crazy. Like, I mentioned earlier about Tom Cruise, and I went and saw Risky Business on the big oh, screen. Oh, the one where he's a bartender. Smack. Uh, <laughs> no. No, this I saw is... Risky Business. I, I really enjoyed that film. Did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, when did you see that? I saw it, like, a few months ago on DVD. You never talked about it? Nope. Ah, see, that's... Ah, well, maybe we could talk about it now for a second, uh, because we have a little bit of time. Uh, I like this movie a lot. It's really good. It's it's it, a great it, movie about teens. Yes. And yeah. it's got a really nice edge to it. Yeah, it wasn't what I was expecting, because 
you know, what a you lot think of, about it is you what usually, you know about this film is Tom Cruise sliding across the floor in his socks. Yeah, and lip syncing to Bob Seeger. But that doesn't even scratch. The no, that's early on in the movie. Really about well, you you see that image and you think, oh, this looks like a kind of goofy teen sex comedy. But no, this involves him getting involved hiring with prostitutes. Yeah, hiring prostitutes, running and, a brothel. Yeah, and <laughs> trying to escape from pimps <laughs> well joe pantoliano yeah is really the guy like he's not really pimps more pimp singular but he's still he's really great in the movie. i like tom cruise a lot in this yeah it made me miss when tom cruise was in movies and he wasn't just action man tom cruise because that's what i've that's what we've gotten a lot of in the past 10 years like yeah he, he's basically become like an action figure you yeah. just put, he's kind of a stand-in for and for for anybody. He, and when he tries, he can be a really terrific actor just with material given to him. And this character he plays, you keep feeling for him because he gets into such deep crap like yeah. because he, you know, he he his the, his dad's Porsche falls into a lake. He uh, misses like a test and he gets kicked out of a club. And so, who is who who is the female lead in this? Rebecca oh. De Mornay. Right. Who uh, I'm a single white female, and she, she, she's so great in this. She's good too, because and there is, you have this feeling like you're what like, any moment you could fall into a film noir. She almost becomes like this femme fatale character because you're not quite sure yeah. how much, how much she is manipulating Tom Cruise in that film. I or, didn't and, think about it that way, but that is an excellent point. I mean, she is the femme fatale who is constantly screwing over our, you know, quote, average Joe, um, and kind of putting him in a very precarious position. Not almost not unlike like DOA or something like that. But in this case, it's funny. Cause when I was watching the movie, I was able to suspend my disbelief. I really was. And I really bought into it. I had a lot of fun. After the movie, I did think about would like does it is it logical that all of the teenage boys in that area and all of the 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 really attractive call girl prostitutes would come together in one night? Well, they're in a rich neighborhood. Yeah, and they're they're a bunch of desperate young men who Tom whom Tom Cruise convinces yeah. to pay for sex i suppose yeah and although i do like he does have the one friend who's like i don't have to pay for it that's curtis armstrong <laughs> yes i love curtis armstrong was, it, was he in revenge of the nerds i don't know he uh, looked like booger from that movie he was he, well, i've he's seen in him so around many bit parts and he's got such a distinct voice yes I, I like him because he was in this this short-lived cartoon that i really enjoyed called dan versus he was the lead voice actor in that film not in that show. Okay. And I, I eventually I started realizing he was in other movies and that yeah, he, and that he was pretty good. The other thing too though is that like after he gives that speech where he says he's not going to have sex, the funny thing is is like he pulls out a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> but also it's not like the, the movie doesn't quite show how it works when you get a prostitute. No, there's I no, mean you, you you pay up front. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like in, in this movie, it's just like, oh, we'll just have sex now. And then in the morning you can pay me after I've slept over. But then it's like, you don't know how much this is all, how much of this is a con. Well, there, I at guess the there end, is that. I, I, but does, but does she really think of it as that, at that point? Like, is she out to do like a long con or is she just out to get a lot of his stuff? Yeah. 
Like, and then at the very end, yeah, it's obviously very rushed where they have to get all the stuff back into the house. Like, it's almost like it's a, an extremely edgy version of like Ferris Bueller. Yes, if that's, that's a, the way to put it. That's a pretty it. good assessment. You know, because in that movie, you're also dealing with teens who are kind of having fun while the parents are away. But in this one, it's very R-rated. Yeah, and uh, terrific soundtrack too. Um, a couple of really some really good music. Tangerine Dream does the score it's very 80s that scene on the subway hmm. i wish we could have i wish you could have talked about that in one of our uh sex and film episodes because that's an extremely there are two very sexy scenes in this movie yeah um yeah so that's risky business and i mean i could talk about a couple more movies again just to brief it mentioned really fast uh movies to check out here's what i'm gonna watched. give you you're going to talk about all your films, but you're only going to do it in two and a half minutes. I can do it. Ready, set, right. go. Taste of Cherry, uh, Abbas Kiarostami's Palm d'Or winner. Very sad, but interesting until the end. Um, uh, Border Radio, a indie movie that's not very good, but it's very of its time. Um, what time so, is that? 19, excuse me, 1984. Right. Um, Regression, also not very good. Ethan Hawke, um... What's her name from Harry Potter? Okay. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, I watched a Robert Downey Sr. movie called Chafed Elbows, <laughs> which is a v- extremely experimental New York City movie from the mid-60s, again, of its time. And, oh, one more movie, uh, The Shop Around the Corner. Hmm. You ever seen that? No. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, Margaret Sullivan. Uh, it later got remade as uh, You Got Mail. Oh, uh, with Tom okay. Hanks, and you know, it's it's interesting because it's a Hollywood movie with these American actors. Um, it's like they're they're working in this little shop with that sells like stuff. The actor who played the Wizard of Oz is the boss. Oh, cool! And he's delightful. Um, you know, because he's very much like I'm the boss, I, and he gets angry at times, but you almost find he, it kind he's... of funny. He, he's an irascible old man who's kind of cuddly at the same time. Yeah, basically it's Jimmy Stewart and this woman work in the same place, and they can't really stand each other, but they're also pen pals, unknowingly. We've no. never met. No! And uh, just, it, it, it really worked itself on me. At first I thought, um, this isn't going to do it for me, and then little by little I'm like, I love this movie. Right. Ernst Lubitsch directed it. Just a classic Ernst Lubitsch fun comedy. Um... Uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, we could talk about the movies we saw together. Nah, forget it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, screw you, Gods of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! I got you. All right. So um, when we come back, uh, in order to commemorate our uh, thing, yes. Well, uh, in order to, in order to celebrate the release of the BFG, which by now has bombed at the box office. Well, what was what did you call it? The big, uh, the, you, you, you the texted big, big flop guaranteed. Uh, that was mean. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, but well, when we come back, we're going to talk about the BFG, which I saw. And then we'll talk about Roll doll movies. Yep. Because there are a lot of them. So stay tuned. We sang and we danced and it was beautiful. Don't, don't be afraid. 